Well, good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Uh, Todd tells me that I'm allowed to show you five, maximum five pictures uh, from the big trip that I went on, and then I got to focus on preaching. So I want to go ahead and do that. I went on a, a, a once-in-a-lifetime trip with my extended family, the 22 in the larger Robbins family, to South Africa, and we travel around for a few weeks. And so I just got to show you a few pictures. Can we show the, the picture of the mountaintop? Can we pull that up? So this is actually, this is actually my son, Peter. We climbed this mountain, uh, our family, uh, the top of Table Mountain in Cape Town, like a 2,000-foot uh, elevation gain. I learned my family is hardcore. They, they, they went up it quickly, and I got there eventually. Um, okay, the, the next picture, we saw a bunch of animals. We went on safari. Check this out. Okay, I got to tell you, this was a little bit unnerving for me. Uh, we had these really close encounters with lions, and there's a couple of these massive, like, male lions that just walked, like, right, right by us. Let's try this, this next one. Yeah, that's my nine-year-old daughter next to a lion. Uh, and uh, here's another photo of that. And, uh, yeah, felt uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> I ended up with dreams for several nights about lions coming after me. But it's just such a, such a weird primal thing to sit there and stare at these, uh, at these lions that could kill me and make eye contact with them. It was just a wild experience. All right, this next, last photo. Uh, this is my family, the, my, my, my parents and my siblings. Uh, and uh, my, my parents, we were celebrating my parents' uh, 50th wedding anniversary and their retirements. Uh, and so we were super excited about that. So, um, so anyway, so that's what I've been doing is just having this amazing experience with, with, my, with my family, really celebrating my parents. And so thank you for uh, giving me the time off and we're happy, uh, happy to be back. Uh, would you join me in prayer? Lord, we just pray right now as we, as we focus on your word that you would just bring it to life for us. Uh, we just pray that you would open up maybe doors inside of us that have felt closed to you and closed to each other, that we'd be able to lift up all that is inside of us to you. In Jesus' name, amen. My, uh, one time when I was in college, I had a group of friends that we used to gather at the flagpole at noon sometimes and, and, and pray, and pray for the school and pray for each other and just whatever was on our, on our minds. And so one time a guy that we didn't know saw us, he's like, hey, can I, can I join you guys for prayer? We're like, oh, awesome, right? And uh, as, as we were praying, when it came his turn to pray, he, he, prayed, he prayed something like this. Sovereign creator of the heavens, thou hast prepared us this day unto thy glory that we should, and, and we just all opened our eyes, right? Like this guy, this dude is praying in old English. And we looked, we thought he was making fun of us. We're like, what's he doing, you know? But that's just like, apparently in his church, how they taught him, he asked to pray. So when he came up to us, he talked to him, he's like, hey dudes, what's up? Can I pray with you? And then he's like, oh, sovereignest Lord, thou hast. And it's all these and thines and... It was just this interesting experience of realizing that there's places where there's just certain ways of prayer that's taught and then we fit into certain kinds of patterns and say, okay, this is how we pray. In the same way, the same thing happens with worship. How many of you have ever had the experience 
where you've come to a place of worship, maybe here in this room, and something about the song doesn't quite fit with how you feel. Have you ever had that experience? You ever had the experience where, where maybe the song is, is bright and fun and peppy and celebration. Oh God, you are good and life is peaches and cream. But inside you feel just like absolutely not there. You feel maybe anger or sadness or depression. You feel out of sync with the song. Anybody ever had that experience? I know, I know I certainly, certainly have, right? Something that I love about the Psalms is that in the book of Psalms, you have songs and prayers for all occasions. They teach us that there's not just like one right way to pray or one right sort of type of language to pray in. There's not one mood that's acceptable to bring to the Lord. They teach us that we can bring to God whatever is in us not just what people expect to be in us or what we wish was in us. We can bring anything to God. So today we start a series on the Psalms. I hope that it broadens our prayer life, broadens our worship life. We're thinking about all the different rich variety in the Psalms. And today, in particular, we're looking at a Psalm of Lament. Now, I could have started with the songs of exuberant praise, uh, but I'm actually saving that topic. My friend Leo is going to come back. I think he's more appropriate to preach on that topic, don't you think? Uh, I'm going to preach the depressing one, uh, the psalm of lament. It's a psalm of pain and sadness. But the, the point of it is not to depress you, but it's to tap into the pain that we already feel and give us permission to lift that to God. There's a variety of psalms of lament uh, in the psalm, uh, in the Psalter. There is, um, there's psalms that, that cry out, God, how long, how long will I stay in this place of pain? God, where are you? Did you forget me? Are you sleeping? There's psalms like that. There's psalms that start off in pain, and then they turn into psalms of praise. But not the one today. I've chosen, I think, the most difficult one in the Bible, and the last verse of it is one of the most difficult verses in the whole Bible. And because of that final verse, I bet you've never, ever in your life heard a sermon preached on the psalm I'm about to preach on. Uh, because it is, it is dark, and it doesn't end happy. It's an expression of anguish and sadness, and then even bitterness and rage and a desire for revenge. I want us to, to Todd is gonna actually, the, the song is meant, it's a prayer that's meant to be sung. And Todd's gonna sing it for us, uh, just the actual words of the psalm, just to give us some sense of flavor of the song. And then what I wanna do to help us understand it is unpack the story behind the song. the rivers of Babylon There we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion On the willows we hung our harps For there our captors asked us for songs 
our tormentors for laughter. Sing, sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, let my right hand also forget my tongue cling to my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, Feel that? Man. I, uh... You ever prayed like that? You ever, you ever brought that, that rawness, that pain, that anger before God? I want to uh, take us and, and look at the story behind this song to help us understand it. What is going on and see if there's a way that we can actually connect with the sorrow and the pain of the people who wrote this song. So the first thing I want to show you this is the, in the story behind the song is, is first of all, the, what Zion means. You heard Zion spoken. Zion is Jerusalem. Zion is the holy hill in Jerusalem. And so it's Right there, every time you see Zion, it's synonymous with Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the holy city, the place of the temple. And this song was written by the temple musicians. But it was written after 586 BC. 586 BC is a extremely significant year in the Bible, extremely significant year in the history of Israel. It's the year that the Babylonian army under King Nebuchadnezzar, conquered Jerusalem. They ransacked the temple, stealing all the sacred objects. And then they completely destroyed the temple that had been built by King Solomon. They came in 
to the Holy of Holies, took sacred objects, then completely obliterated the temple. These musicians watched it happen. They who had led worship in that temple for all that time. And then, and then the Babylonian army took the leading citizens, the artists, and the musicians, and they forced them to march hundreds of miles away to go work as slaves in Babylon. Let me show you a map. So this map, you see the, the, the march that they had to do from Jerusalem all the way back to Babylon, where they lived in exile. Now, what's interesting, if we leave this map up for a second, what's interesting is if you were to look at a map of the journey of Abraham in Genesis 12, it's exactly the opposite line. So he begins in Ur, and God calls him out and eventually moves him into the promised land. And so think about this reverse journey. After all that God has done in their life in the promised land and all the history of Israel, suddenly it comes to this tragic ending of the temple is destroyed and these musicians are moved all the way back. It's as if all of the promises, all the things God has done for them have been reversed. And Psalm 137 is written in exile by those exiled musicians. This is hundreds of years after the Psalms of David. So we see a lot of the Psalms written by David. This is hundreds of years later in a very different situation. They're writing this song in Babylon where they don't belong. Now, it's a song of grief, of lament, and there's layers of their grief. Big picture macro grief is the grief over the conquest of their home city, the destruction of the temple where they led people in worship, and the grieving of having lost loved ones in the siege. But there's also this like micro grief, this, uh, this insult that has been uh, added to their injury, which is the torment of their captors. And uh, let, me, let me read to you in uh, verses one through three. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. We remembered Jerusalem. There on the poplar trees, we hung up our harps for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. And they said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Right? The, the people who've captured them, they're saying, hey, uh, the, the temple in Jerusalem was world famous for its peppy music, its happy celebration music, the way you would play your harps and tambourines and make music in the temple. It was so joyous. Uh, hey, play us for, for, so that we can be, it can be entertainment for our party. And that just felt like such a crushing blow for them that they, they, they just they, they threw their harps up onto trees so they wouldn't have to play for them. They feel like these songs are sacred songs and they're being asked to profane them. And rather than play for these jokers, they, they wanna get rid of their instruments. It feels like it'd be out of place to play these songs in a foreign land. This idea of, of, of the sacred music being profane just reminds me of this uh, experience I had when I lived in Ghana. I was a, a missionary with International Justice Mission in West African country of Ghana. And something I got really used to when we were in Ghana was dancing in church, okay? When the drums start going, people just start 
start shaking whatever they got to shake, all right? And there, there's just so much dancing and celebration. People are jumping around. And I kid you not, like the older ladies of the church would often form conga lines to march up front and they'd have their, their handkerchiefs and they'd be waving their handkerchiefs. Sometimes we would join in those lines and get in the conga lines in church and just sweat flying everywhere. Just this amazing experience, amazing expression of joy dancing in church. So if you guys are interested, uh, we can start doing that. Uh, you guys want to lead the conga line? Okay, so I got so used to, to, to dancing when I was in Ghana. One time I was with IJM on a work trip, and we stopped at a gas station, and I got out to, to stretch my legs, and music came, came on playing uh, in the gas station. Now, I didn't speak the language that the music was in, so I didn't know what it was saying. And I uh, had a good beat, so I started dancing. I started doing my moves that I do in church, you know? And I'm expecting all the IJM staff to uh, get out and start dancing with me. We're gonna have a, a dance party in the gas station. I'm expecting at least that they're gonna smile and laugh and give me a high five. But actually, they stared at me in horror. Just... And I'm like, uh-oh, I'm doing something. What am I, I'm like, I'm doing something wrong. What, what's going on? And one of the ladies said to me, she said, uh, apparently, and some, some information you should know, I didn't know this, but the song was apparently uh, this kind of like vulgar like club song um, about, you know, partying and, and whatever. And uh, it, was, it was by a secular musician named Shatawale. And this lady said to me, Osofo, that like they call me, Osofo Kwame, Osofo Kwame. We dance unto the Lord. We don't dance for Shatawale. And she goes, and you call yourself a pastor, <laughs> right? I'm like, okay, all right, get back in the van. I don't know what, what, what went wrong. But here's the idea is for them, dancing is worship. It's sacred. They, they do it as an act of, of joy and celebration of the Lord. To do it in some kind of vulgar other context for them would be profaning their sacred worship. And that's kind of what's happening with these temple musicians. They're like, these are songs of joy for the Lord in the temple. They, they don't belong on the rivers of Babylon as entertainment for our tormentors. And I think there's another struggle that they have, which is simply just what's authentically in them, right? The songs that they have that they're being asked to sing are songs of celebration and joy. And that's not what they feel at the moment, they feel profound sadness. And so they feel like, how can I get myself to sing this peppy song, even if it was appropriate? I doesn't feel right inside of me. I know I've had many times uh, like that as well, where I struggle to sing a happy song when I'm feeling the sorrow in my heart. And so they say, how can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? Now, again, I don't want to bring this to your attention to depress you, but to tap in to the, whatever the deep, dark emotions that you may already feel. Many of us already have experiences of anger, of depression, of disappointment, of feeling abandoned or betrayed. There's something profound about this song that gives us permission to pray that. I'll show you a few more pictures just to tap into their experience. This first one is a, a carving. It's a depiction of a similar exile. When the exiles went to Assyria, musicians driven along with a whip, and see, you can see them carrying their harps off into exile. 
This next image captures this moment of hanging up harps in protest, refusal to play. They fall down and weep. This next photo, you can see the grief on their faces. These are all depictions of this psalm. This final, this final painting, you can see the man who's holding the harp with a chain on his wrist as he's figuring out, what do I do? Yearning for things to be different and figuring out, how do I sing in this current state? So they express their grief to God and they, and they express their questioning. Oh my gosh, this is where I'm at, their sadness. And then it actually takes an even darker turn. It starts to be a series of curses. And the first curse is on his own musical ability. He says, how can we sing songs of the Lord in a foreign land if I forget you, Jerusalem? Like if I'm disloyal to you and I just move on with my life and don't truly grieve you, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the root of my mouth. May I no longer be able to sing or make music if I don't consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Then he remembers the people in particular that, that wronged them. In verse seven, it says, remember, Lord, what the Edomites did. Now, the Edomites were their longtime neighbors. They never really got along, uh, but they were neighbors. And when the Babylonians came and attacked Jerusalem, apparently the Edomites had said they were cheering. They were cheering for the enemy, cheering for the destruction. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. And he's like, Lord, remember them, those people who cheered at my destruction. And then comes the darkest part of it. The last verse is a curse, a curse on their, on their enemy Babylon. It says, daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Oof, oof. Oof, it's brutal. It's a brutal verse, right? I've only been asked uh, one time in my life to pray a curse, okay? I was, I was a pastor in a church in Davis, and uh, we used to have prayer available for people after the service, and this one lady uh, from Turkey came up to me, and I don't think she was a Christian. She came up to me, and, and I said, hey, how can, how can I pray for you? And she said, um, yeah, I would like you to pray that my boyfriend dies, and I was like, whoa, like they didn't teach me in seminary uh, how to pray such a prayer. And I was like, wow, um, well, uh, we don't, I mean, we don't really, we don't really, we don't really do that here. <laughs> you know? I was like, uh, is there anything else I can pray for? She goes, oh, well, huh. well what do you got? Like, could you, could, you, could you pray that God would break his leg? <laughs> and I'm like, no, you know, no, I don't, I don't do that. I, I, I don't, I, the thing is, we're a Christian church. We don't really pray harm on people. She goes, what do you do? So I gave her some like relationship advice and prayed for peace in her heart, all right? That's what I got. That's what I got for you. I think she left a little bit uh, disappointed. Um, but there's some places, there's some religions that, that, pray, that pray curses, you know? We actually had that in Ghana quite a bit. The traditional religions would, would pray curses uh, on people. And here, this is a sort of a curse. It's, it's, it's sort of like, it's, a, it's actually kind of a blessing on someone that would harm Babylon. It's, it's happy or blessed or the person that pays them back. And in particular, I want to show you something about that, that really dark uh, part at the, at the end. Uh, if we can show this next 
slide. There's something about Hebrew poetry called parallelism. Uh, I think we have a slide. Do we have a slide for that? It goes back to verse 8 and 9 with some things underlined. Okay, not this one. Can we show up the psalm? Okay, you can take this down. It's not, it's not right. Okay, so um, what happens in the uh, Hebrew poetry is there's something called parallelism, which was something that was thought to be quite kind of artistic and beautiful, which is to say one thing and then to say basically the same thing in a different way that these two parallel uh, statements. And, and the fact that, that we see a parallelism with the parallel structure helps us really understand what's happening in that last really dark verse. So let me read this again and understand that this is a parallelism. It says, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done. Okay, that's the first one. Happy is the person that does revenge to you based on the thing that you did to us. That, that, that evil crime you did to us, if someone does it back to you, blessed are they. Okay, that's the first line. Now here's the parallel. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Do you see how the parallelism tells us something? What it tells us is that this is what these musicians have experienced at the hands of the Babylonians. This dashing of rocks. When they conquered, it included the killing of some of their own children, of the Israelites' children. And so in a state of just anger and struggle and rage, they're saying, you know what? Blessed is the person who does that to you. Now, now let's think for just a minute about what would we tell a friend if we had a friend who was really wrestling deeply inside over the harm that had befallen their children and they, and they, and they rage and they say this. Would you say to your friend, now, 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 don't say mean things, be nice. Probably we wouldn't say that. We would probably understand they, they need to get that out. They need to speak that. They need to, they need to express their rage because they have felt such torment, right? So what do we do with this prayer? What, what do we do with this super gritty, gritty psalm? Well, the truth is we, we don't pray for vengeance and we don't pray for harm on people like this is. And that's because we as Christians are downstream of Jesus who teaches us to love enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, and to turn the other cheek. And so, so we do seek to be informed by that which Jesus teaches us. And so what do we receive from this psalm? I think it's simply this. The psalms give us permission to lift to God what is in us and not just what we wish was in us, not just what people expect to be in us, not just what we think God would allow us to speak, but to actually lift up to God everything that's in us. Have you had, have you had prayers like that? Have you ever just shouted rage and frustration and questioning up to the stars? Did you know God can handle that? God can handle your pain and your darkest feelings. And he can sort out the things that maybe he should respond to and the things he should just let lie. But did you know that he can handle that? 
I have just one particular experience that just keeps coming to my mind as I think about this psalm. And, and that is, many of you know that uh, uh, my family, we had a very long journey uh, with Joy's uh, allergic asthma when we were in Florida. And just this, this hor- horrible health experiences that were really, really scary for us a lot of times. And, um, and we went through, you know, long, long time of medical treatment and, 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 and all these different things trying to solve the problem. And uh, nothing was working, and I, and I just it, finally, we, our last kind of hope of of, of this healing was 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 gone. We're like, oh, what's going on? And I and I parked my car in this parking lot of this coffee shop, and I just remember praying to God, just like not a prayer you would expect a pastor to pray. Okay, it had cuss words in it. I'm like, God, what the beep? You know, what is going on? Like, you called me to be a pastor. You, you brought us here. Like, you're not going to show up and like, and like help my wife. What is going on? Bleep. I don't even remember what I said. Okay. It was just like, but it was like, ah, right. And of course, I've told you before that that's the moment where the phone rang and that's when you called, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, God, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, fixing this Florida problem, you know, but, uh, you know, God works in strange ways, but it actually happened right after this moment of just like, you know, just undone, just, oh God, rah, here's what's in me. Here's what's beautiful about the Psalms is that it, they tell us it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not have it figured out. It's okay to not pray in old English. It's not, it's not, it's, it, it, it's okay to, 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 to not be in the same mood as the person next to you. It's, it's okay to just, whatever's going on inside of you, you need to know that God will listen to you, that God cares, that God will feel that pain with you, and that you can lift it up to God and he will bring you to a place of healing and hope in some way. And here's one more fascinating surprise for me that's inspiring about this particular psalm. The whole psalm is about these musicians that say they can no longer sing, right? They're saying, we can no longer sing because we're not in the temple, because things aren't as they used to be. The temple's destroyed and it's not happy times and we're not in our homeland and our whole lives have fallen apart so we can no longer sing. And they threw up their harps and they cursed their own mouths and said, we can no longer sing. But you know what's fascinating? The words we're reading are a song. This is the song they ended writing. They figured out they could no longer sing the songs of Zion So they wrote a song of Babylon. They couldn't in that stage of their life sing the song of joy, so they learned how to write a song of lament, and they sang that to the Lord. If you have an experience where the thing you used to be able to offer to God, you just, you're not connecting with, what do you have? Would you be able to lift that to the Lord? He would even want to meet with you and hear that. Amen. I know this is not the normal message that we do and maybe not the normal mood that we think about, right? We want to come to church and joy, but I think it's important for us to tap into these things as well. We're going to close with a song uh, called How Long, and it's the song of lament. 
A lot of the songs of lament, they, they, they ask the question, how long, how long, God? I'm in pain, but you have promised me salvation. How long must I wait? And, and it asks that question, but it also, in the spirit of asking that question, it also is an expression of hope. That, oh Lord, I do, even in my pain, I still trust in you, and I believe that you will one day come and bring deliverance. And so I hope that we can just kind of sit and listen and just receive this song And maybe it can be your own song one day when you really, really need it. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can bring everything that's in us to you and that you care and that you love us. And just, I just wanna pray over everyone in this room who might be hurting, who might be in pain, that you would just be the salve on their wounds, that you would just bring them the hope and the comfort that they need and see them through this season. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if any of you would like prayer, uh, we're going to have our prayer team. We'll just be right over here, and uh, we'll just invite you to, to come forward, and maybe something that I, I said today or something just came up that you think, you know, I just really need to talk with someone and pray. Uh, we would love to pray with you, and that'd be right over here. Uh, if, you're, uh, if you're a young adult, uh, you guys are all invited to go to lunch. You're going to meet at the coffee shop uh, right after service. And if you're new here, uh, newish. Uh, we would love to invite you to taste and see. That's gonna be right over here. Uh, and, and I'll take you around on a tour of the church. It's like a progressive lunch and tour just for an hour to, to kind of meet a bunch of staff and learn more about what's going on in the church. And so you're invited to join us right over there um, after the service. I want you to invite you to stand for the, the benediction, uh, which is a, a blessing. And now may the God who listens to all prayers, hear you when you cry out. May you have the courage to lift all that is in you to the maker who loves you and saves you. And as you lift your pain to the Lord, may he come and may he heal you and may he teach you to hope again. Amen.